Hi everyone, I'm Monica. I'm Emma. And I'm Catherine. And we are here today from the Strathclyde Podcast Society. This is our first time hosting an episode and we are so excited to get started. Today we are lucky enough to be joined by Ben Rapson, the upcoming president at Strathclyde, to chat to him all about his experiences and plans for the next academic year. Ben is heavily involved with Strathclyde Student Union and the student community. After being the Vice President of Welfare for the past year, Ben is enriched with loads of experience. He's been involved with so many rewarding and interesting projects, such as setting up the Greater Glasgow Student Tenants Union, launching the Justice for Students campaign and carrying out the Strathclyde Sexual Health Survey, just to name a few examples. We can't wait to chat to Ben all about his experiences and the projects which he's worked on and is planning on undertaking. But just before we start, remember to subscribe or follow us wherever you're listening from. We have lots of exciting content coming up from the Strathclyde Podcast Society and you won't want to miss out. Also be sure to check out all of our social medias. If any Strathclyde students want to get involved in the Podcast Society, new members are always welcome. Be sure to drop us a message on social media or check our page or the Union's website. Now without further ado, Ben, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi everyone, uh, my name is Ben Rapson. I'm currently your Vice President of Welfare and I am the upcoming Strath Union President, the President-elect. Um, if I wasn't currently doing this role, I'd be in my, my fourth year of a political science um, degree, um, which I'll eventually be going back to do at, at some point, uh, much to my, my sort of parents' disdain. I will eventually get back, uh, mum, it's okay, <laughs> I will eventually return to my degree and finish it. Um, and yeah, I'm gl- really glad to be here today. Really happy to be part of your first episode. So Ben, how did you come to study at Strathclyde? Um, so fu- fun story about that. Um, I originally wasn't coming to study at Strathclyde. Uh, when I came out of school, I-, I-, I was originally going down the track of studying web design and, and-, and development. I originally had an offer to go to uh, Edinburgh Napier. And a couple of weeks before I was due to do that I was I was sitting at work and I sort of made the decision that I, I don't want to do that with my life uh, so I contacted that uni I was like no thanks um, and took took a year out of sort of work um, out of studies uh, and just worked for a year um, I was working in Vodafone at, at that point in time reapplied a year later uh, to study politics at Strath and got accepted which is quite funny because the, the previous year I was rejected by Strath um, for the exact same course, so I got accepted a year later, uh, and here I am, uh, sort of however many years on. Sometimes just that bit of experience makes all the difference. It really does, doesn't it? What about politics? Like, what made you think, oh, politics? Because it is such a, a difficult degree to go into, and it does kind of take a bit of interest to go along with it. So it's one of those things where when I was at school, uh, I was really into computing, but I was also really into modern studies. Um, and both of my teachers in both modern studies and computing were like top class, like amazing, amazing teachers. Um, and it was just one of those things where I got to the end and sort of got funneled towards uni and was like, cool, I have to make a decision um, between sort of computing or uh, sort of social sciences. And... The value judgment I made at the time, which was the wrong one, was, well, you know, like, computer science pays more than a social science degree. Um, but it was only sort of waiting in the last couple of weeks before going. I was like, nah, I don't want, don't want to do that with my life. Um, so I decided to go for sort of politics. And I, I'm sort of very politically active, um, politically aware, sort of doing stuff with lots of different groups and organisations, um, which has sort of made my degree quite straightforward um because it's, it's it's very much a large part of my life um outside of the actual studying element which i think always makes things a bit easier um so what year at uni did you start to get more in, involved with the the union's politics and all of that um stuff that you're involved in oh that that's is, that's is a question catherine <laughs> so i've actually been involved since uh first year wow um because i knew one of the SABs at the time, the then Vice President of Volunteering and Development, Liam McCabe, um, who then went on to be NUS Scotland President, um, through sort of outside politics stuff um, and got involved in clubs and society, set up a club and society uh, in, in, in my first year, along with a, a friend who I believe was in second year at the time. Um, I think it was only a couple of weeks in, was at a club's 
general meeting um, for this new society that we'd established. Uh, and I think it was the day, day later I went to the sort of first student parliament meeting, um, which was, was a bit wild. Um, and yeah, I, I've been a, sort of about ever since, sort of in second year, uh, ran to be vice president of community, lost spectacularly. Um, and then last year, at the end of my, tail end of my third year, ran for VP welfare, um, and and just just about clinched it, just just won. Um, it was very much an, a narrow narrow result. I love how early you got involved. I also love how determined you've been to keep going and know that you want to do it because it can be really daunting when you lose or when you've got to put yourself out there into that position that you can face rejection is really difficult, and a lot of people struggle with that. So good good on you for like keep going. Um, it definitely says a lot about your character. I, th- I think your um, journey is really inspirational as well because you've started like right from the beginning and look where you are now. You've you've risen all the way to the top from fresher to you know president almost. It's it's really am- it's amazing what you've achieved. Yeah, I'm sure it must take a lot of time in your week as well. Like I kn- I know that you've done different roles in the past and you've progressed throughout the years. So. Uh, how many hours a week would you say you do? And what responsibilities would you say you have had which are the most difficult and most time-consuming? So, do you mean like in my role as a, yeah. a SAB? So, as a SAB, I believe we're contracted for 35 hours a week because obviously it's a paid, paid position. Um, we often go about above that. Um, I think it's safe to say that, that plenty of people on the team uh, put, put, in, put in the extra mile um to, to get things done especially during things like freshers week which in a, a more traditional year there isn't 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 really much sleep during freshers week um although this year given the circumstances i think i got a little bit more sleep than last year when i was even just a volunteer um but yeah so it's sort of full on it's a full to full-time job being um vice president welfare and it's uh gonna be even heavier next year uh being sort of president with 100 times as many meetings um and like having to meet jim and, and having to do, do, do stuff like that so yeah it's, it's, it's pretty full on being a volunteer at the union like a lot of time goes into it whether you're on society technically this just now can be logged as our volunteer hours i don't know if you girls know that but can get into that another time but so much goes in with running a society and when you log it all up i was looking through and i was like oh my goodness but it is, it's, it is really, really amazing that you're willing to put that time through. So you've mentioned that you've kind of taken time out and stuff. Is that is that voluntary suspension? How does that work? Um, and how have you found um, your time doing that? So I believe that is classed as, as voluntary suspension. Um, it, it's pretty straightforward. Uh, the, the sort of union and the uni have an agreement in place, which is basically, you know, if... if as long as you aren't like really struggling, or, or as long as the university doesn't think it would be detrimental to take time out, um, for for your for your studies, and or as long as you aren't on like a, there are certain courses that are externally audited, not by the university, and they they might be a little bit more hesitant about you taking time out, or you just may not be able to do it because of the, the sort of type of of course you're on. Um, but for ninety nine percent of people, it's a case of informing your department that you're looking to run for election if you get elected you'll need to take a year out um and if you get elected then just putting in your voluntary suspension form in your department going cool we'll see you in a year's time um in my case i've had to now do that twice um be like hey i've taken a year out how would you feel about me taking another year out um and thankfully uh has has been very supportive and they were like cool we'll, we'll, we'll see you in another year yeah um which is quite quite wild. yeah because I know a lot, of, a lot of students worry about taking time out but I myself like I said before I'm such a big advocate after having this semester I'm like yeah do you know what if you can do it do it um and definitely if it does mean you can get more involved in stuff so I think that's really really cool to hear that they've let you have two years out and like you say promising your parents you'll go back you know the struggle of that like yes mom I'll do it be fine you get to be a student for longer as well, which is cool. My mum straight up was like, wait a minute, did you just drop out because you're not going to get grad ball and you're not going to get graduation? I was like, <laughs> maybe. Who's to tell? It's definitely a pick. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out if I take another year out if I don't get one next year. Um, so moving on from that, like what, over the last year, 
talking of COVID and talking of the changes we made, mentioned there about graduations, grad bows, but of course we had the shift of not being on campus. We, it's hard, like all the things that you think of with being a student, we've not really had this year. What are the biggest challenges you've faced being in your role and kind of looking out for students? And how have you, have you overcome them? How have you helped us out of it? Because we know you have, but what have you done to do that? Yeah, so I, th- I think one of the biggest sort of personal challenges um, ha- has been, uh, and for everybody who's listening, um, I'm sure you folk can see I'm in this sort of pink palace, as I call it, with these pink walls at the moment, the flat that I live in. Um, and working at home, um, I, I, as I'm sure you will have experienced and students will experience as well, um, seems great at first. And I'm sure for a lot of people it, it, it continues to be great, but like, when you work 35 hours a week in your home and then have to also relax and chill in your home, um, it can be quite hard to, to switch off at times. And also just the sort of general nature of this job as well. Every person who gets elected to this job, um, for the most part, really, really cares, right? Um, so when a student's having a problem at 10 o'clock at night, you, you kind of feel compelled to, to respond at 10 o'clock at night. Um, and, and students do message you at all hours, especially during the, the pandemic at the moment as well, because everybody's all over the world and people forget about time differences. Um, so that in itself has been a sort of personal challenge. But like, I think more than that, what, what, what it's made it harder to do is just connect with students at times. Um, like I think back to uh, Matt Crelly, but when he was president, one of the first things he did was he went round halls and knocked all of the doors. Um, and that was one of the things that I was really hoping to do this year as VP Welfare was to replicate that and because VP Welfare's remit is all to do with housing and getting to know people who are living in our student village. But COVID sort of stopped that from happening um, and, and it sort of makes it harder to build those connections and, and to do sort of grassroots organising, which is sort of my, my, my comfort zone. Um, so that's why we've done things like we set up action groups, um, which, which Catherine got involved in and the, the sort of tenants union as well sort of working towards building that especially looking towards next year um but for me one of the ways i counteracted that besides action groups is just talking to students on social media and being very upfront with them on social media um and keeping them updated consistently on social media um and sort of having regular updates um and i, I think students i, I don't know you, you tell me i, I think there, there's a general appreciation of that um especially in sort of comparison to the big emails that, that the uni tends to send that tend to say an awful lot, tend to be awfully long without saying an awful lot. Yeah, it's nice to be kept in the loop. You mentioned so you mentioned some of your um, achievements over the past year and you mentioned the Tenants' Union, which I've also been involved in. Would you like to, to tell the listeners a bit about that and also um, what you've achieved through some of your other projects as well? Yeah, so the Tenants' Union is a really exciting project. Um, it's maybe not accelerated as fast <laughs> as I, I, I would hope, um, but next year I think it is, is as we get some sense of normalcy, a, a chance for it to really grow and we've sort of planted the seeds this year. Um, but it's a really exciting project because the, there are fundamental limits to what the student union can do, um, especially when it comes to housing um, and private housing providers. Just, just because of, so if, if you look at the, the relationship between the university and the union, right? Um, the union's primary funding source is the university. So with the best will in the world, even if you get like a, a, a very radical president like myself, um, if, if we go too hard on the university too fast, that could put the long-term funding of the, the union in, in jeopardy, which no shouldn't once because then we have to look at cutting budgets um and if you look at private sector um there's a relationship there between sort of unions and private sector providers as well um one that i'm not entirely comfortable with i've got to be honest um but it's certainly there at the moment um so the the idea behind the student tennis union is well okay we're going to create an independent vehicle um, for housing issues that is independent of the student union, isn't funded by universities, isn't funded by uh, private provided student accommodation. Um, and not only that, 
it's not just Strathclyde specific, it's the Greater Glasgow Student Tenants Union. It takes students from every institution, every uni, every college um, in the Greater Glasgow area, sort of all the way out to UWS Paisley campus, um, and brings them all under one group, one banner. Um, and the idea is, once we start really getting numbers up and start getting students involved and getting them signed up, um, that we can more effectively challenge private providers in particular um, to, to be like, yeah, actually not having water for a couple of days isn't, isn't really acceptable. You should, you should refund rent. Um, or like the numerous things that have happened throughout, throughout COVID-19 um, sort of being able to apply and exert that pressure. Um, and the student union still has a very clear role in sort of engaging with an organization like that and working in sort of partnership with an organization like that and the student union will always have a role in talking to private providers and especially talking to the sort of university accommodation where we can exert the most influence um and we have exerted influence this year um but the the, the student tension union is just an added bonus for students um and really getting students engaged and organized within that um, is how we're going to tip the balance of power in Glasgow away from these big developers that keep on throwing up student accommodation blocks all over the city and then don't actually put in any support in place for the students who live there. Um, they just take all the money and don't actually do anything for students that's particularly great. I love that this came out of COVID and kind of the whole student haven't been supported in COVID from the union have, the union have supported, the uni have tried to support, but from outside sources and there was a lot of feeling among students of kind of we were left to deal with it we were then blamed for it we were then left to deal with it again and we can feel the blame building back up like oh the students doing this the students doing this when most students at this point we're all back home or we're all just stuck trying to get through the last final bit of this with not much support coming from the outside world do you think that that's going to create a problem going forward for students that there's a sort of loss of trust of people that should be looking out for us not really having our backs completely you know I, I, it's been a real frustration this year the sort of way students have been treated um by government and by private providers by universities at times um but unfortunately it's, it's not really anything new it's just it's just been really heightened by covid it's sort of been exposed by covid but if, if you look at the way that the, the sort of the uk government treats students like if, if you're unemployed you don't get access to universal credit because you're a student we're, we're not considered part of the workforce because we're students it, it it's ridiculous you know um we pay uh, international students pay sky high fees um and some of them haven't even set foot in the country this year <laughs> because because of covid there's not they're not getting fee refunds um like it, it, which is outrageous it's miserable um it's it's unacceptable um but i, I think covid has really exposed it and it, it's a turning point um I, I, or at least i hope it's a turning point and hopefully a turning point for for the better where students go actually um no we deserve better than this um and and we're not going to accept this and that's that's the optimistic view right um but that involves energy and like it's been a tough year and i understand most students are probably drained and kind of just want to get on um but that's why i'm here and that, that's why my my new uh, really good team coming in place next year um we're gonna fight those battles uh really hard for students um at a at, at sort of local level at strathclyde level and hopefully affect some real change and, and encourage students to get involved um, with that as well. So again, with COVID, how there has been lots of issues at the university, there was the no detriment policy being introduced, mm. but I believe there was quite a few issues with the uni and the union not kind of working out and like delays with it or like lack of clarification. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about that and what was done to like solve the problem? So I should say first of all that like in my role as VP Welfare, I wasn't directly involved with the sort of drafting of the sort of later stages of the no detriment policy. A lot of which was done 
during election season by uh, Kayla, the sort of outgoing president, and uh, Shelby, the, the outgoing VP Education. Um, and they've done a power of work um, to get the redistricting policy uh, to where it is and to a state that, that is sort of top top class in terms of the no different policies that, that are available within Scotland um, it, it is the cream of the crop um, but th- there's there's no doubt there was a, a sort of communication breakdown uh, the university like it always does kicks the can down the road doesn't see the urgency of things that students are desperate for um, and sort of told the union one thing then didn't deliver that to the union another thing didn't deliver that um and then eventually uh after a lot of struggle finally um published the the, the sort of no different policy and told students what was available um so like it was a very stressful time for students it was a very stressful time for uh, the team um at, at the union and like it is something to really reflect on because I think it happens a little bit too much for the universities. Like, cool, we're going to do something, and then they fail to deliver, and like, it, it, it disappoints students. It, so it disappoints us as officers, and it's much more disappointing and disrespectful to the the student body that that we represent. And it's also the union that kind of cops it all the time from the students because it's the we're looking to the union to talk for us to sort it for us. Yep. And then yep. even when it's the uni that's failing, and to a lot of students it did feel like, why is the union not doing this for us? Whereas, I guess, yep. creating and better it, transparency al- almost was what I think a lot of people were calling for and it's something that could be done. I think the union are quite clear on that if they want that. They want clearer transparency from the union, from the uni to the union for the students. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think at times... Well, one of the, the odd problems that you wouldn't think happens but does happen at times um, is that people don't realise that the union is, is independent of the uni and that we're not the uni and I, I don't work for the uni, I work for you um, so like when the university does things wrong sometimes we do take the take the heat for that um, but people are usually quite understanding once you explain and you go actually this, this is this is what it is, this is what's happening Um we are trying, we are pushing, like, but there is definitely a, a transparency problem um, at Strath at, at times and just not being upfront or clear or changing things or, like, just a real disconnect from, from, the, from the student body. Like, a lot of these decisions are made um, by people who have been in, in higher education for years but haven't necessarily been like doing lectures for, for quite some time or like actually engaged with students one-to-one for quite some time. So like decision-making can become a little bit detached um, from from the student body uh, and, and the realities and the stresses of being a student and like the university's angle of, oh, well, you know, like we still got the no detriment policy passed faster than last year. It's like, yeah, but last year the pandemic happened in March <laughs> like, I would hope you would have it faster than last year because the pandemic hasn't stopped um, and I would have hoped you would have been sort of developing it throughout, throughout the year. Um, Again that did seem so... like a, a uni were quite going back to first semester they were still set going halfway through first semester no you'll be back on campus before Christmas and we're like no yeah. just they should have told students. Um, yeah yeah. And, and, and the entire time us as officers were like yeah, that ain't going to happen. So why don't you just be honest with students? It's very clear that they're not coming back to campus this semester, um, but you keep telling them that they are. Um, and, you know, the uni being the uni just, it, it, it sometimes doesn't listen and then it gets to the point where they have to actually do what we've said they've had to do all along and we are just have to our teeth and go we told you so um like you should just listen to us more often (laughs) yeah if only they listened at the beginning it maybe would have resolved the full housing problem as well for students like international students coming back coming to live in glasgow or even people from around the uk getting accommodation that they didn't actually need 
and then being stuck in housing bubbles with people or potentially living alone and not even being able to visit home. Yeah. Not even going to go into the rent situation. Yeah, it was the students that came here getting told, yeah, you'll be back on campus. And then they were alone in a place that they didn't know anyone. And meeting people online, like, as we've never met online. We've ran, societies have ran completely online. I've never met really anyone that I've worked with this year. So I can imagine I'm from Glasgow, I've grew up here, I have my family here, but people coming from abroad, people coming from even just a wee bit further out in Scotland and know nobody living alone. It was just, it was a bit irresponsible <laughs> if the uni to encourage that. And then obviously we had the whole government blaming us, like, oh, you have to come back, but how dare you came back? I was just going to say, Ben, um, so you've talked about a lot of the issues with the union working with the uni and how there's not a lot of transparency sometimes. And I think a key example from our research that we've seen about you is you started this whole Justice for Students campaign with the fees as well, um, because um, I know myself um, as an English student who's paying all these fees as well. And um you know, a lot of my friends, they, they think the, the fees are too high and it's the union who are really doing something about this. Would you like to tell us a bit more about that campaign? Yeah, so this is something I started uh, earlier this semester um, and it was really to take quite a hardline approach um, to, to the, the uni and the institution to say, no, these fees are unacceptable um, and, like, you can exert influence uh, to, to change this and you, you can make mitigations for this year because at the end of the day right i i don't believe in tuition fees at all i don't think anybody should be paying tuition fees whether they're international students students from the rest of the uk um shouldn't education as a human right it shouldn't be run for profit um but at the end of the day that isn't something strathclyde can just do on its own it can't just eradicate tuition fees overnight um, because it would go bankrupt <laughs> and then we wouldn't have a uni at all. So really it's, it's sort of government intervention that, that is needed to change the system long term, right? But in the short term, in the case of COVID-19, well, you know, the university could take a hit and it could say, actually, no, this is unfair. We're going we're gonna to cut, cut people's fees for this year um, as a goodwill gesture to be like, you haven't had the same student experience. We're not going to charge you full whack of fees which in some cases again as i said earlier on there are people who have paid 20 grand to the uni and have never stepped foot in scotland um which is a bit a bit 20 20k for online learning is a little bit ridiculous um but the uni hasn't been willing to budge on that and the, the other side of that as well is pressuring the uni to get on board with the the idea that actually fees are not a sustainable model um, because NUS obviously doesn't believe fees are a sustainable model um, and NUS lobbies the government to say fees are not a sustainable model. The only thing that will get the government to actually move on that is to get unis to go and say fees are not a sustainable model. You need to you need to fund us fairly um, and to get actually get institutions on, on our side on that and that's a very difficult task to do because there are institutions who actually go in the opposite direction and they're like, actually, we, you know, Scottish government, we'd really like it if, you know, these Scottish students also paid fees like their, their counterparts down in England. Um, then, then we could be funded like English universities and charge whatever we want. Um, so there is that, that counter argument that, that does go on in the back, the back rooms. Um, like, so justice for students is important in terms of like, really taking a hardline approach, not not sort of aspirationally going as something for the, the Prime Minister or the First Minister to, 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 to sort, um, because they ain't going to do it unless there's pressure um, to do it from institutions. Uh, and unfortunately, Strath has been very unwilling this year to, to engage um, on the issue with, with myself. You know, I, I wrote that letter to Jim that, that I published online for students to see. And he got back with that 999 words where only five words actually mattered, which was tuition fees will remain unchanged, which was really disappointing, like to, to even refuse to engage in, in, in a sort of discussion or a dialogue um, about it. But hey, I, I'm president-elect now. He's going to have to engage in that discussion this year. Um, I'm not sure if Jim's listening, but it will be on the agenda, Jim. Um, we will be talking about fees this year. I, think, I wonder if Jim's ever looked at Strathfest. 
feel like that's just a like, <laughs> oh my call gosh. out to Jim Page sometimes. <laughs> yeah. I reckon they do. I, I, I don't think Jim looks at it, but I reckon there probably are people within the upper echelons of the, the uni that, that look at it and keep keep, keep Jim informed. Yeah, there's. I remember it being described to me before, obviously, the Scottish student, I don't pay tuition fees, but someone does still pay tuition for me, like, and yeah. describing that the uni's a business, we're paying customers to that business. They have things that they need to sort for us. And if we go to them and we're not happy with the service they're providing, that's how it works at the end of the day, as much as we don't like to see it. It's a business, we're customers, and they've got a duty for and, that. And that's a really important point, Emma. And, and it's, it's, it's one of the points that I've tried to stress throughout that sort of campaign. Um, and one of the reasons that we don't see as much movement in Scotland on 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 fees or on campaigns to do with fees compared to say down down south down in England, um, is because Scottish students don't pay fees. Um, and as as a Scottish student myself, it's very easy to live in that bubble of going, ah, we're great in Scotland. We have free higher education, yeah. and it's not and free. Our, yeah, for forgetting that our mates are actually paying for our higher education for us because they're subsidising us with our free higher education by international students and students from the rest of the UK paying sky high fees um, and that is the angle that, that I've tried to lean into and I'm going to lean into more this year is actually this isn't just an issue for international students um, and, and students from the rest of the UK um, Scottish students should care about this too because if we don't care about it and if we don't stand up and say actually this isn't right then long term if there is like a credit crunch or like some disastrous thing COVID, I mean, I don't think it's going to happen at the moment because of the Scottish government. But long term, uh, a Scottish government in the future could feasibly go, cool, you know, this free tuition thing costs too much. We're going to get rid of that now. Mm -hmm. Um, So, like, actually stand up and say, no, this is unacceptable in Scotland. What we want is an education system that's free free the point of use. um, And we want really good uh, sort of post-study immigration standards so students can stay here after, after they've graduated um for for as as long as they desire like to really build an education system that benefits society um and isn't just being used to funnel money to shiny new buildings like tech town (laughs) and it's also empowering to students like if you're not happy with a service somewhere else you make it known you're paying you're paying for a service here someone's paying for this you are still a customer i think that's really important and obviously, like you said, the immigration, I don't think we should even get into Erasmus. That could be a whole podcast episode in itself. But building that back up and everything. But we spoke a lot about the union as a whole, but what about your role just as the Vice President of Welfare? You looked at the Sexual Health Survey, you've looked at the tension we've discussed, also going on to talk about going back to campus, about Nourish, the fit on campus. Um, so what have, what have you been doing this year and looking forward to next year about tackling all those problems? And building on what you've done. Yeah, so sexual health survey was a big piece of work. Um, I've been working on that with Rachel, the, the current um, VP Inclusion, um, who I've loved working with this year. Uh, we done a big old survey. It got over six hundred respondents and like four hundred and fifty completed responses that, that filled it out fully. And, and at the moment, we're we've just done the full data analysis on it, and we're writing it into a report that should be out before summer. Um, but it was sort of really insightful to, to see the different statistics. Um, the, the biggest one, or not the biggest one, that, that's the, the wrong wrong way to say it. All the statistics are really important. Um, but one of the sort of headline figures um, is that students at Strathclyde are having sex, um, but they're not really getting tested that much. Um, in fact, from our survey respondents, 60% of students had never been tested for STIs or STDs. Um, which is a little bit alarming. It's probably not an award that Shathclyde wants to win alongside all of its other fabulous awards. Um, but here we are. Um, and it's largely down to the fact that places like the Sandyford Clinic are completely backed up. Like, the waiting times are really ridiculously high. Um, and and it's, it's quite hard to, to get tested within Glasgow. Um, so when we publish that report, there's going to be a whole host of recommendations, but one of the recommendations is going to be, and it was in my manifesto for this year as well, was exploring the creation of a sexual health clinic on campus, um, which some other candidates who've also been elected stood on as well. So we're going to work on that together. Um, 
and really just exploring the creation of, of of a place where students can get tested and, and go for for sexual health support and stuff like that um because it's needed it's it's, it's grossly needed as as seen by the survey when the sort of full report gets published um and it's more than possible um like e- even if it's just starting with uh the what we've had previously that were hugely popular which was like the pop-up sti clinics i believe the sports union done getting them back a little bit more frequently and then looking at a, a permanent location and permanent staff um and just having a, a, a permanent service just going beyond students. the free condoms and freshers week and building yeah. up from it yeah, and it's it's really really important that that students are safe and healthy um, and sort of clean um, while 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 on campus. Um, so yeah, that that's one of the things that I want to look at next year. Um, it's a dis- tough discussion to have, but it's discussion that's needed um, and something that needs to be spoke about more and shared a bit more across the uni. Um, and definitely having the survey and seeing where students stand and moving on with it will be good going back to campus as well because we're all going to go back and we want to be doing it safe if everyone goes back. Exactly, you said it. Um, it, is, it is very important as we, we sort of return at campus that, that we look at these things. Um, and in general, we just look at the kind of campus that we actually want post-COVID um, because learning and the university experience is going to change like it's, it's discussions that are already happening within the uni which is things around cool what does the future of education look like um students have experienced online learning do we offer more online courses do we offer more parts of the courses that are online and have like this this promise of blended learning that is that has eluded us all um for, for the last year like should more courses be a little bit more like that, where like you can go in um, for, for your lectures or you can go in for your tutorials, um, but you can still watch them online if need be, or you can still watch lecture recordings and there's still web clips uploaded to support things and there's still a lot of online content for you to engage with. Um, in, a, in a university that, that sort of moves in that direction, then campus becomes a fundamentally different experience. If, if more staff are working at home for longer periods of time, then the university doesn't need as much office space. So what do we do with all this office space that is now vacant? Um, what spaces can we create for, for students to use, um, to socialise and, and sort of really build on that student experience? Um, but it links in, this is me doing my, my segue to, to nourish and campus catering, right? That, that, that is part of sort of looking at what catering looks at at Strathclyde, which is such a fundamental part of the student experience. Um, and it is discussions that, that that are going to be underway sort of shortly, very early, sort of consultative stuff, just sort of looking at catering as it is just now. But I do plan on sort of raising sort of bigger issue of actually, I don't think it's just worth putting some paint over nourish and trying to market that to students. We need a sort of longer term strategy that envisions a different type of catering experience on campus. Um, sort of big picture idea is what nourishes at the moment is basically a bunch of cafes on campus that are all very similar and are all on that corporate nourish branding um, and it's sort of a mixed experience whether or not it's a cool chill place or literally just like a, a school cafeteria um, the, the idea would be uh, lots of different little venues that have different uh, menus and different experiences focused on different cuisines from around the world for example um and that they would be really chill spaces and when they shut at the end of the day um, these could be spaces that could be booked out by clubs and societies um and even looking at, at big things like strathclyde doesn't offer catered halls um at the moment which is kind of weird it's just some sort of long-term thing that Shaftlight hasn't had um could we bring in like a meal credit system where students who are living in halls could prepay for a bunch of meals and instead of just being able to do that at the catering bit up at, at Todd's um could use it in any of the venues so really looking at big term things things like being able to order on your phone um as you're coming out your lecture so that it's there for you when you arrive at the, the place 
um, sort of really forward thinking. Um, and now's the time for the university to do it and invest um, because, as I said, students have experienced online learning. Not everybody's enjoyed it. Some people really have. There's some students who probably don't see the value in paying these sky high fees when they could just do an open university course for far less in future. So the university really needs to upgrade the student experience in order to keep it an attractive prospect. Yeah, definitely. Just going back to what you said about the catering, I do think it would be a really good thing to introduce the fully catered halls, especially because a lot of students are quite it's quite daunting moving out and you're like, oh God, all of a sudden I have to cook yeah. and they don't know how to do all of that stuff. So they end up getting takeaways and the takeaways are quite expensive and they're not necessarily actually healthy. So <laughs> it would definitely be a good thing to consider because the meals could be obviously more nutritious, definitely at a more affordable price and just in general better and more accessible to the students living in halls. I really like that idea for getting that introduced. I like it as well. And also maybe looking at the library before we had the two microwaves and that was quite successful. There was always queues for it. Um, Building up from that and creating more of that. I know a lot of people that maybe have dietary requirements felt a lot more comfortable knowing that they could bring their own food and it wasn't just a sandwich or anything. You You could bring good food or if you're in the library all night or all day and all night, which of course we shouldn't be advocating, but it happens. Knowing that you had that opportunity to be able to keep looking after yourself and keep eating. I think that's something that a lot of students would quite like to see is more facilities like that are on campus um, that are available rather than just the two microwaves for the whole library, which was good until exams. In terms of um, welfare and also like students looking after themselves, uh, we saw that one of your campaigns was uh, to focus on the sports facilities and uh, making the fees cheaper there and increasing the accessibility of those facilities. Um, Because obviously as a student, it is really important to advocate that students look after their mental and physical well-being. Um, So how are you planning on combating that? Yeah, no, I I think it is really important. And and I sort of say that as somebody who you know, I could probably do with being a bit healthier myself. It's certainly, it's certainly been a focus this year, try to get a little bit healthier, try to lose a little bit of weight. Um, but I, I do think it is really important as we return to campus that we make it more accessible by looking at things like lower and sports union, not sports union, Strathclyde sport membership fees rather. And the sports union is already very affordable. Um, the And sort of bringing that down, making the gym accessible um and just looking at ways overall that we can make um sport at Strathclyde more accessible and and really encourage it as students get back on campus um because I have heard from plenty of students who are just like Ben like this year has been real rough I've been stuck in my home all the time I've turned into a couch potato um like and you know, lower, lowering fees and that is, is one way to make it a little bit more incentivized to, to go along. I think something else that needs to be looked at um, as well, um, and I, I do hope to raise with the uni um, quite soon, um, is students who are in Strathclyde Halls this year um, and students who stay in Strathclyde Halls qualify for free Strathclyde Sport membership for the year as part of their uh living in halls experience that they pay for and um, but the gym's been closed for quite a significant part of the year um, so I think the university should look at either rolling over th- those free memberships or if they come back and say that's completely unaffordable which is not like they could easily do it like a massive reduction in the fee for those students um, for, the, for their second year um, because yeah they, they haven't they haven't Again, like so many students, haven't got what they signed up for. Um, but I do think it is really important as we, we look to get back on campus and we look to get a little bit more fit and healthy and we're all going to have to slog up those hills again. So probably do need to get in the gym. You need to bring back the campaign for the massive escalator up the hill. <laughs> Just get that, yes. get that going. No, definitely going back to campus as well. Like We all know about the disability and wellbeing service. But getting that more involved, like you said with the Strathunion, you can actually get 10 weeks free through disability and wellbeing if you're referred for it as well. 
So kind of making students, I had no idea that was available. So making students aware of what's available to them and making sure that is easier to access because it's a daunting process, I think, just now because you have to you have to be the one, um, which is a big step that I know a lot of students struggle with. So going back to campus, finding a way for things to be more accessible and better to engage with. But also, there have been changes this year. There's been massive changes this year. We've all seen them. We've all experienced them. Um, I had a bit of a realisation the other day, like, oh my goodness, we have lived through a global pandemic and it just kind of hit and I was like, oh, that is mad. So we've all seen the changes, we've all lived through the changes, but have all of them been bad? Is there any that you would like to see that have changed this year that you go, actually, do you know what? I want that to keep being something, particularly in the uni, um, and think, do you know what, actually, that benefits students, let's keep doing that. I think the big one would be sort of lecture recordings. I, I know there is a power of work being done on this just now by Shelby, our, our VP Education. Um, I think it'd be really good to see those kept uh, post-COVID. Um, that would require the university to do some investment. Um, but again, they should be doing that investment and in the educational arm of the uni if they can afford um, to do big investments in things like the tech. Um, they could afford to invest in cameras within our lecture theatres so that students can participate if they say the train gets cancelled or like they have caring responsibilities um, or something just last minute comes up like so they can continue to participate in their education um, even if that means watching it at 1am in the morning if that's what works for them that should be an option or binge watching the recordings I mean yeah too like (laughs) if they want to do that as well yeah I think absolutely um, so I think lecture recordings are, are a key one. Another one I would maybe look at is even the no detriment policy, right? That 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 Kayla and Shelby worked on this year. Like they're I mean, like even before COVID, right? I remember last year, um, when we had a, the start of a global pandemic at the tail end of strike action. Like our our, our academic year was disrupted before the global pandemic was a thing. Um and I know some other universities have committed to actually sort of keeping their, their no detriment policy permanently and activating it in times of sort of national crisis or things like strike action. Um, and I think that's maybe a discussion that, that needs to be had with lecturers to make sure that they aren't uh, sort of, it doesn't make strike harder for them. Like, strikes are a valid form of protest when lecturers are being treated like crap. Um, but yeah, I think it is a discussion worth having because students often, you know, like our years are disrupted all the time and having a policy in place that ensures that that's mitigated against and we're not unfairly discriminated for things out with our control, um, I think is really important to keep. So lecture recordings on detriment policy um, and just, again, this this there is something to be said about the, the flexibility that online learning does offer for some students and online engagement offers for some students. Like we've had reps this year that wouldn't have been reps had we not been in the middle of a global pandemic and everything was online because they commute and they, they can't afford to stay back in the student union um, to all hours having meetings. So I think even within the union, I think there's a real exercise for us to make sure that students can continue to engage digitally um, with all of our sort of democratic functions, but also with things like clubs and societies and, and supporting clubs and societies to, to make that possible. Yeah, I know clubs and societies are thinking of kind of keeping some online um, because you can, you, you do create an engagement, you can reach other people by doing that. And it's something that I think all of us need to look out into, but the union having a, a, a definite stance would support clubs and societies going forward for that. Um, but yeah, the... The strike action, I don't think I've known a single year without strike action and, and obviously COVID, like it has been, when I look back on my four years, there has been something every year. Um, and it is, it's weird, <laughs> strange. What are your top three priorities for next year? Oh, wow, that is a difficult question. Um, I want to, so number one, I think first and foremost, I want to build a student union, especially because like we're going into a new union next year it's finally going to open like but and i'm really excited about that but i want to build a student union that all students um want to be engaged with 
um, or as many students as possible want to be engaged with, especially in terms of like the sort of democratic campaign side of the union um, to sort of show that actually, no, there is, there is strength in the student union and like the more students that get engaged with it, the stronger it is. It's like going back to that stuff about the tenants union, the more people that engage with that, the stronger it is. The same with the student union, like the more students we have organised and the more students we have getting involved, the, the more good stuff we can do for students, right? Um, so I think that's 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 number one. Um, number two, that transparency thing from from the university, um, uh, even going down to the, the nuts and bolts of things like emails and having really good communications um, from the university that are that are clear and don't actually add to to the stress. Um, and then three, I mean. I have I have a very long manifesto of, of things I want to do. That's a very hard question. Make me pick and choose between my children. Um, like, I I think you know, like the sexual health stuff is something that I've been very passionate about this year, um, and I think is deliverable. Um, so I really want to look look at that in detail um, and get stuff done there. But in saying that. There's so much more there that we've discussed um, for the last few well, and so much we haven't discussed as well um, that that I do want to work on with the new team that's coming in, which are a smashing team. They're going to be amazing. So it's going to be a big year. Regarding the CEO of the Student Union, we just wanted to know like how he's involved and whether, like, what his authority, you could say, is and how that ties in. Uh, so yeah, the CEO of the union is Manish. Manish is great. Um, I love working with Manish. He's a great guy. Um, and he sort of does the, the operational side of the students' union. So it's not really Manish's place to get involved in the democratic side of the union or the, like, the campaign side of the union. Um, but like the operational stuff, like making sure the student union stays afloat and like doesn't go bankrupt and the bars are doing well and like the new union building, making sure that that's going to be a, a great space and like the sort of stuff we're looking at at the moment is uh, the names for things like the bar and stuff like that uh, and working with external consultants and branding agencies and, and he does a power of work. I don't think he sleeps. Um, <laughs> like, but yeah, he'll manage his great. He's a great person to work with um, and the president works really closely with the, the chief exec so I'm really looking forward to working with Manish this year. I really get along with him quite well. Was Manish also elected or is there a different process for Um so this is before my time, but I, I, I believe Manish and and Chief Execs in general just go through a hiring process like like more standard members of staff. Um yeah. that happened a number of years ago. Um and from what, what I know, uh, he's done a smashing smashing job at putting the union on the right track because previously possibly wasn't on the the, the best of tracks financially um, and he's done a good job of turning it around. Ben it's been great having you on the podcast today thank you so much for joining us it's been great talking to you all about your journey at Strathclyde and your plans for the future we hope everything goes well for you as president remember to follow us on Spotify or subscribe if you're on YouTube or iTunes see you guys next time